0: Episode 76, Matt Booz, Director of Strategy at The Industrious and Keyboard Player for Blizzard of Ozzy.
1: It's a very interesting way to frame the idea of a mistake, right? A favorite one. So you have to think back and go, well, why do I cherish this particular mistake?
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes and links to this episode, go to markgravencom slash mistake76. Please follow, rate, And review the podcast if you're not already doing so. If you like the episode, please share it with a friend or a colleague on social media, especially on LinkedIn. That helps get the word out about our little show. Thanks for listening. We're joined today by Matt Booz. And before I tell you more about Matt's background and introduce him uh, more formally, uh, Matt is the second guest now from our shared hometown of Livonia, Michigan. So Matt, thanks for joining us. How's it going?
1: It goes very well. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good to see you as well, and I'm um, going to enjoy speaking with your audience today.
0: Yeah, and, and and we're going to focus on your favorite mistake. Please don't talk about all the mistakes I made in elementary school. I mean, please don't.
1: <laughs> well, I, I will share this. I do recall um, a very uh, what's the right word reserved and quiet third grader who turned into a raucous drumming fifth grader. <laughs> Uh, who then went on to great things later in life. Yes. I remember you walking around with drumsticks quite frequently as a fifth grader.
0: So I, have, I have drumsticks in the office. They're a little out there of reach, go. but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so Matt and I go back to elementary school. Matt was a year ahead of me and um, we cross paths a lot through our Livonia public schools education, which I think has uh, right. set us up well in life. And then Matt preceded me by a year at Northwestern university. So there's another. Go cats common common thread go cats exactly and um so it's it's really fun who would have thought um i don't even want to do the math of how many years ago that was that we we would be talking to each other like we had computers in elementary school but they weren't like this
1: oh no they were the texas instrument sinclair which was cutting edge (laughs) for the time
0: yeah and we played oregon trail and lemonade stand on the apple IIe, right
1: Yes. Oh, I remember the Apple IIe and taking the the uh, the case apart and looking inside at all of the glory. Sure. Programming and basic. It was all going somewhere from there.
0: Remember that little turtle moving around on the screen? Did you do that one? <laughs> I did.
1: So. did. Choplifter. Love Choplifter.
0: <laughs> so, um, but we're we're here to talk about uh, not just, we'll, we'll catch up more on our own time. But um, Matt is a sales and consulting leader. He's a data and analytics authority. He's a customer champion. He is the director of strategy for a firm called The Industrious, and we'll have a chance to um, chat about that later on. I guess all those labels, those seem okay?
1: Those those seem fine, probably grandiose, but they're very (laughs) nice. I think I may have written them myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I may have taken them from your
1: LinkedIn page.
0: So other than the mistake of being grandiose, um, you know thinking back in, in your career again not anything I did in uh, elementary school or middle school um, Matt, what would you say is your favorite mistake professionally
1: yeah it's, it's a it's a great question that's what prompted me to, to obviously come uh, on this broadcast with you because it um, it's a very it's a very interesting way to frame the idea of a mistake right a favorite one so you have to think back and go well why do I cherish this particular mistake And in this case, Uh, I, a mistake, I think about all the time, probably every day, probably multiple times a day, Uh, and without doing too much backswing, I'll take you back to about 14, 15 years ago. Uh, I'm a director of operations at a major North American telecommunications provider, and my job at the time was to put tools and equipment in the hands of the sales channels to make them more efficient and more effective. And one of the things we noticed is, hey, we hire somebody, which is great. And then because we're telco, we've got about 16 different systems where we've got to provision a person. person's got to get a commissions ID, and now I've got to get a point of sale ID. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And I thought, gee, there must be a better way to do this. So the moment we hire somebody and put them in PeopleSoft, there should be a system that just cascades this all the way through. And man, this is all this. Not necessarily groundbreaking, but... Could save us a whole bunch of time and then even more so, stop the problems we have with commissions, challenges, and all the rest of the inefficiency that comes from fat fingering thousands of codes. So I'm about ready to go do this and uh, I'm given a a partner to work with and she and I get going and um, we start with a reasonably small scope. Reasonably small, contained, we can do this, but we're generous people. And so people say, well, could we do this? And could we do this? And could we do this? And our general, general answer was, well, we can try, which is another way of saying yes. And before long, we had this enormous problem on our hands, which we still thought we could manage until we got those fateful words from IT, which basically boiled down to, well, we didn't know what we didn't know until we found out we didn't know it. Okay. So yeah. we're Oops. stuck we're not going to hit our deadline. We're not going to, we're way behind. I mean, it's flaming red everywhere. If there are 20 things we have to deliver, we have a chance of delivering six. And so my senior vice president calls this meeting together of all of his people doing all of these projects. And it's just this, this reckoning. How are we all doing? I want to help. This is basically a half day of, tell me how you're going. I want to help. And so my partner and I, we said, all right, well, this is our chance. We got to say, we got to, here's our plan. We're going to say, this is where we're off. This is what we're going to do to fix it. This is where we need your help. And we're going to come out of this maybe with a fighting chance. And so we were about the fifth person or fifth team to present. And the previous four teams were even worse than us. And so by the time he turns over to us, he says, all right, Matt, you got to tell me, you're going to deliver something really good here. And I, I mean, I mean, all the color drained from my face and my partner said, that's right. We are totally on. Everything's going according to plan. You're going to be very pleased with all of this. And I was simultaneously, now the color's back in my face. I'm sure it's all red. I'm simultaneously confused and apoplectic. And I don't even remember how the rest of the meeting went. I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, we just, oh my gosh. So I get out of the meeting and I'm like, what was that? That's not what we planned. We said we were going to talk about this and this and this and this. And she says back to me, you know, he doesn't pay us to bring him problems. He pays us to bring him solutions. (laughs) And I'm younger and I said, okay, well, maybe this is how it goes. And everything is just as bad as it has always been projects way behind. And then I get this email that's an uh, invitation to a meeting in my senior vice president's office at six 30 in the morning on a Tuesday, which is of course never happened. He doesn't bring me into his office at any time. Now I have this meeting and I'm convinced this is it. This is what I'm going to get fired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I arrive at six 15. Cause I'm not going to be late to my own firing. <laughs> uh, and, and I, I walk in and he, he's very gracious. He asks me if I want coffee, I sit down and he says to me, those, these words, he says, Matt, why don't you think I deserve the honor and respect of the truth? I just, I just like melted into the chair and I just, I did like the, but, 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 but I mean, I just started coming out with stuff and he just holds up his hand and he goes, listen, I need you to understand three things. First, I've been doing this a long time. I know how to solve more problems than you've ever seen in your career. I'm the guy you come to for help. The second thing he says is I have bosses and my bosses expect me to tell them everything that's going on accurately and concisely. And the third thing is I can't do that if you don't do the same thing for me. And he said, so here's what we're going to do. And he laid out a plan and it was of course, a plan you might expect from a senior vice president who's been doing this for 40 years. It was, all right, we're going to fix this. 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 And he says, and I trust this is the last time we're going to have a conversation like this. And I said, yes. And I gleefully ran out of the office. And I think about that, Mark, every day. I think about why, when I knew that I was not telling the truth, I knew I wasn't. Why didn't I, after the fact, figure out a way to be forthcoming? Even if that meeting was the wrong time, I had plenty of opportunity after the fact to say, yeah, well, here's really what's going on. And the second thing I think about all the time is how he chose to be a a leader and a mentor and not just a dictator. And so I, I think about those things in my professional life. All the time, every meeting I go into, every interaction I have professionally, from that point forward.
0: So, and when you talk about that story, you had a co-conspirator. Yeah. He, was he? Was he called in separately?
1: If, I, uh, I I don't for, know. For a um, like it was just she. Not that that makes uh, one oh, bit of sorry. difference for the yeah. story. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I reflect back on why this particular person was put on the project. Uh, she didn't have a technical background. I think she was supposed to maybe. Uh, be a mentor and a guide for me. And maybe that's how she thought she was approaching it. But uh, no, I I don't know this. I do know that she was never on another software project uh, and was put into other, maybe less technical projects on a go forward basis.
0: So I apologize for my mistake and slipping up on uh, a pronoun there, but I, uh, yeah.
1: So uh, these, these, uh, I'm trying to protect the names. I, I, you know,
0: Yeah, they, <laughs> yes, just they. tell stories. They, why did they, they. do that? But, um, yes. so, you know, th- thanks for telling the story. And, you know, I think there's a lot we can sort of you know unpack um, from that and, and how it influenced you. Now, when you think of different workplaces and cultures, like I'm, I'm curious, you know, as you're recollecting, is that a word? Sure. What's your recollection mm-hmm. of, um, you know they have the culture, right? because there there are some workplaces where leaders will say one thing, but then they demonstrate something else. Leaders will say, "We want you to tell us the bad news." And then when bad news comes out, people right. learn, sure, let's mm-hmm. keep the bad news under wraps. So that could have influenced um your your colleague and, and and what she did there. but do do you remember what like were the words and it sounds like you got good coaching, but sure did, did the words line up with the culture?
1: well, so it's a it's an enormous company. Right, and we'd like to think that culture is uniform across the whole organization, but in my experience, it was the reflection of the leader at the top of the organization. In some cases, even the vice president or the executive director. So you could be in a, you could be in a flamethrower in one part. You know, you walk over to marketing and whoa, 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 what's going on over here? And then you walk over to IT, and maybe, maybe it's a little sleepier or whatever. In this particular case. We were not, um, you know, it's a telecommunications company. We're running a retail channel. So and when it comes to doing uh, the things that make the telecommunications company money, budget goes to building a network and then building a network and then building a network and to borrow from Moneyball, then there's 50 feet of something and then there's retail, right? So our culture, we didn't have a lot of... Um, uh, kill-or-be-killed uh, kind of approach. We were a lot gentler. So I think the the culture reflected the senior vice president very well. But like I said, if I go into other parts of the business, um, it it's dramatically different. And my fit in the culture at the time probably wasn't all that great. I'm a little bit kinder, gentler now as I approach a more rooted bit of middle age. But when I was younger and in my 30s, um, I was sure that myself, my own ambition, I could change a company founded by the guy who invented the telephone. I could do it myself. Probably not true.
0: So, how has you know thinking about this story? Um, I, I, I love that you use the word cherishing. What happened here? Uh, that that that's uh, that's a great word to choose. Um, how does thinking about this influence you as a leader in terms of? what you try to reinforce or how you try to operate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well it, it manifests itself in a couple of ways for sure. Um, in about a year and a half or two years after that, I had recovered from this and now I'm managing a team of at its peak 18 or 19 people. So it was a pretty, in this organization, it was pretty sizable. And, um, I remember my approach to managing everybody was a reflection of what he had done for me. But secondly, I always said that, um, or I always felt that my success was in the reflected glory of somebody else's spotlight. So if I hired somebody in and that person did really well, then I get the benefit of saying, you know, Hey, I coached that person or Hey, I selected that person or, hey, that person thrived under my particular leadership. So I was not about me after that moment for sure. I was always about the other. And that's 100% of how I focus things today. And then the second thing is really um, there is, uh, what's the expression that uh, unlike fine wines, bad news does not get better with age, right? If I am in a position where, it's just maybe I can't be candid at that moment. I find the first available opportunity to be candid, and for an example, might be if I'm in a um, in a sales situation with my current company. We do you know these interactive digital displays, the kinds of things that build um, uh, an emotional engagement in a brand in live spaces, and not everybody's ready for that, right? There's a difference between say how a Sephora might approach that versus say a dollar general as just an example of on opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, and so if I'm happened to be walking into dollar general, which, which hasn't happened by the way in dollar general, if you're listening, we'd be love to talk to you, but, um, <laughs> yeah. they're, orient- they're They probably don't have people who think this way today. Their readiness to do this kind of work is, is just not there. Um, And if I just tell them how super ready you all are for all of this, I'm setting everybody up for failure. So what we end up doing is we talk about very candidly, here's how you have to prepare. Here's what you've got to be ready to do. Here's how you have to be ready to support this on a go forward basis. And if we can't meet these prerequisites, um, then then we table it until we're ready. And that's better for everybody because if you – don't have those kind of candid, open conversations in the beginning. Obviously, you set everybody else for failure. That sounds obvious, but that's not always the case. People just want to sell stuff because selling stuff is revenue, not necessarily because it serves the customer or the project.
0: And, um, yeah, there's a car dealer. It doesn't matter what brand. I forget where it is. But reading about a car dealer where – no, it was someone else I interviewed where he was working at a car dealer was mm-hmm. part of this series. And he would get in trouble with his bosses for more closely aligning the right car to the customer instead of always selling more car. <laughs> right. And he's like, well, sure. you know, he thought he was young and naive. Um, well, is isn't this good for the long term? But you know, some in some industries there's not a long lot not a lot of long term thinking. They say, I want the revenue now. I'm not thinking about the lifetime value of the customer, even if that's maybe sure. a better way to look at it.
1: Yeah. And and I, I'm that approach is, it's hard sometimes to be that way, particularly if, you know, now in, in my current company, we're privately held, we're reasonably small, we can make our own decisions. So I don't have to report sales and revenue quarterly, like we had to in other places that sometimes force you to make maybe more aggressive decisions.
0: And you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by, you know, it, again, good, good word, um, you know, talk about being candid or um, candor. You know, I'm connecting dots to uh, a physician um, that, that I've interviewed for this series. He's the CEO of a nonprofit called the Patient Safety Movement Foundation. Okay. And the story he told was about being um, basically an anesthesiology resident. And the surgery, he was in the room, the mistake was not his. Basically, the surgeon um, cut into the wrong side of the patient for a hernia oh. repair. And as as Dr. Mayer, um, so I'm asking you that I know this is out of your professional expertise, but I'm just looking for your, your reaction as a leader here. Um, the patient woke up and was told, oh, it's your lucky day. <laughs> they didn't say we screwed up and cut into the wrong side. We also found a problem on the other side. Oh. And Dr. Mayer, when he realized that they had not been candid with the patient, was extremely uncomfortable with this. It reminds me a little bit of your story, but because of professional pecking order, he was like, well, he couldn't say anything. And that, that story um, his haunted. is maybe not the right word, but it's driven him to try to help improve the level of candor and honesty in healthcare. Um, It's,
1: it's so hard. Uh, It doesn't seem like it should be hard because we're all taught. It doesn't matter what your background is. You're always taught, you know, tell the truth, but there are, uh, rationalizations and obfuscations that you can apply at any different point. Like this situation, I know I want to say this, but this isn't the right time. Or if I say this now, this will uh, interrupt something that's four or five stages down the road. I don't want to draw their attention to this one particular thing. And so what you end up doing is building up these, um, uh, You know, it's like you're planting your own landmine. And you darn well better remember where you put, you better put flags down at every last one of them, or eventually you're going to step on them or worse, somebody who works for you is going to step on them and it's going to explode everywhere. And and you damage that person and you damage the relationship with the client. It sounds easy and very uh, Pollyannish and Eagle Scoutish to say, you know, always tell the truth, but, but the truth is you have to. And if you can't at that moment for whatever short-term rationalization there is, you have to as quickly as possible undo that for your own sake to just keep your own credibility going, but also just to make sure that your client has every active reason to trust you.
0: It's a great point. So our, our guest is uh, Matt Booz, and I want to change directions a little bit on you. We've been talking to maybe literally button down Matthew Booze. <laughs> right and his uh, leadership roles and, and lessons. But I want to talk a little bit about music. If you can tell sure, yeah. the audience, uh, let your hair down a little bit, tell them about the tribute band that you've been a, a part of.
1: Sure. Sure. Uh, so it's probably not obvious, uh, but I have been uh, in a band called the blizzard of Ozzy. We are, we bill ourselves as America's best uh, Ozzy Osbourne, black Sabbath tribute act play all around the country. have uh, been, in crowds as high as five or 6,000 people who pay money to watch us play Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath <laughs> songs. And I will tell you, Mark, I can't believe it for a second because I just can't, I still can't believe it. And people come and they love it. I just don't understand why you would want to do that. And then I, I started thinking about it and I go, well, you know, people will see the road company that's of rent or frozen <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And I'd be, well, so maybe we're like a road company of, <laughs> Right. Uh, of Ozzy Osbourne.
0: Is there any official um, licensing that has to happen or is this a tribute band? Where, where is that in a gray area? I'm curious. Do you-
1: yeah. So uh, if we were a kiss Kiss band, I'm sure Gene Simmons <laughs> would have reached out to us with okay. some kind yeah. of yeah. Uh, yeah. royalty request. Right. Uh, but this is just one of those areas that remains... Um, It's a gray area. It is enforceable if the publishing wants to enforce it. But for the most part, you know, we're out there just actively promoting their brand for free. And that's how most of them choose to look at it. Um, We did receive early on. We did receive uh, um, a no, you can't letter from uh, Sharon Osborne. Because uh, we had a connection to Ozzy's second or third or fourth or twelfth guitarist, whichever one it is, Zach Wilde, who was gonna come sit in with us for a song when we were playing in Alabama. And uh no no. You can't do that. Okay. So you can you if you, you can't have any of our people who are tied to mm-hmm. us part of it. Um and so we like, okay.
0: yeah. And and so you you are not the um Replacement Ozzy Osbourne, you're 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 more in the back of the band playing keyboards, right?
1: Oh lord, no, no. Yes, yes, back of the band. You know, Ozzy has a keyboard player, but if you've ever seen an Ozzy show, and true story, his keyboard player rarely appears on stage. <laughs> he's he's in the wings. Um, until recently, he brought his keyboard player on stage. So going back to the Moneyball thing, you know, there's the there's the singer and there's the guitar player and there's a drummer and then there's the bass player and then there's 50 feet mm-hmm. of something. And then there's yeah. the keyboard player. Um, so I'm there, uh, my favorite story of Well, we could spend an hour talking about stories from this one. I'll just tell you my favorite self-deprecating story. Just done a gig in Atlanta, really successful. I'm coming out on stage. I'm expecting offstage into the crowd. I'm expecting all these accolades. I- see someone I know. She says, we oh, did a great job on the show here. Meet my friend, Beverly. Hi, Beverly. And she says to me, where were you watching the show? <laughs> I, said, I wasn't <laughs> watching the show. <laughs> I was on stage. No, you weren't. Yeah, I really was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the keyboard player. And I quote, there's no keyboard player. <laughs> so 50 feet of and me, that's, that's my <laughs> true story. Thank you, Beverly, for keeping me grounded.
0: They they need to improve the lighting on that part of the stage. Apparently,
1: That's so great.
0: <laughs> um, so I mean, I've had a couple uh, performers on the podcast. I mean, what what are your thoughts when it comes to uh, a mistake on stage? Um, yeah, dealing with that.
1: Yes. So I'm fortunate. My mistakes. Uh, it's it's not. Um, it's not as if I'm. Uh, Performing Othello or something like that, where there's an expectation of some Gielgud-esque greatness, right? I'm fortunate that I'm, generally speaking, in front of 800 to 1500 middle-aged people who've had a lot to drink. (laughs) So I don't, I don't, you know, there's not... I don't have that uh, classic, you know, clerks kind of thing in the back where somebody with their arms folded and they say, well, you know, and measure 38, third beat, man, he missed a <laughs> note. God, they're so bad. I don't really have that. Um, so the, but we, we pride ourselves on putting on a really good show and what, and it so it involves lighting and pyrotechnics and, and all the rest of it, right? And there are times when, you know, the lighting or the pyro misses a cue, or when uh, the most common thing to happen is the monitoring on stage goes out—you can't hear yourself anymore. Um, and uh, those are actually the times I think when the performance becomes better, because it forces the rest of the musicians. We all have to look at each other and engage with each other and actively concentrate to get through that particular point, um, and. It's it would be exhausting to do that for two hours, but for those periods of time, you really do connect with your fellow performers out of a sense of um, uh, it's you know desperation in a way, rising um, to the occasion. Yeah, because you got to lean on you know you have to really pay attention to where that kick drum is because it's not coming through your ears anymore. You gotta you have to really concentrate and and sometimes I think we end up doing a better job as a result of that.
0: So, final question. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the day job and sure. uh, the industrious. Tell us mm-hmm. about the uh, the firm and, and what types of work that you do.
1: Yeah. So, we do, um, as I mentioned, these interactive digital um, engagements. Uh, uh, the, the best way I can just try to describe it is if you've ever been to a Build a Bear store where you actually start with, have you done it? You're nodding. I, no,
0: I, I have no kids, so that would be weird uh, okay. if I was at a Build a Bear right. store. So I, I, I agree. Not. But for your audience
1: who has kids, build a bear is the kind of thing where you pick a particular carcass of a bear and then you stuff it and you put the heart in and you give it a name and a birth certificate and you buy clothes and you do all those kinds of things, which is all about a retail experience. Uh, and so our projects are very much like that, but oftentimes in uh, digital interactives, Um touchscreens or audio video or motion detection, those kinds of things. Uh, And we do these projects for companies uh, like uh, Microsoft and AT&T. We have a a whole host of clients in Europe. Um, And where we do our best work is when there's a, a brand with a real, real good story to tell. They're just not exactly sure how they want to tell it. Um, and they open up to us about what their goals are. And then our design team goes to work to create, if you will, that build a bear kind of experience for that particular brand. And when we're successful, um, it, it, it really does give people, even in a uh, where we're optimistic in a post-pandemic world, it gives people a reason to go into a store. Because it gives you the experience that you can only get while you're there. Um, uh, as opposed to, you know, just clicking and finding what you want.
0: And the website for The Industrious is?
1: Yes, it's way too long because we were late to the party. It's (laughs) wearetheindustrious.com. If you don't do the we are preamble, you'll go to somewhere else. But wearetheindustrious.com. You can send an email to us at hello at wearetheindustrious.com. And be happy to speak with you.
0: All right. Well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can just, you know, like, and not get some um EDM band from the UK or whatever <laughs> right. the industrious is. <laughs> right. Um, well, Matt, hey, this has been a lot of fun. Um, you know, kind of just uh boy, thinking back from Livonia and our 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 I don't want to say weird elementary school experience. It was a unique learning environment. It was a little um a little some people in the west coast would say it was a little granola
1: yeah if you know well, that, we imported instance. it from the west coast though that was, <laughs> was really what happened yeah. right i mean we yeah. we this was california learning brought to uh you know blue collar midwest so we were taught and look how we turned out
0: creative problem sk- solving <laughs> and um, i i didn't sit we were taught you know to to do like these guided visualizations which is not a habit oh, that yeah. became a lifelong habit for me i don't know about you
1: no Now, and I would just like to say to your audience, if you ever want to humiliate a child, have him sit in an open uh, instructional materials center in a school with temporary walls so all the rest of the kids who don't do this can watch you sit there and hear your teacher through a microphone tell you to envision a lemon as it appears on a screen and can you smell the lemon and can you taste the lemon? Is it bitter? All this other stuff. And you look behind us and it's, you know, it's, it's basically the rest of uh, Miss Ms. Uh, Krabappel's class behind us, just looking at us, throwing dirty the looks. The Bart and Simpsons
0: balls. of the world. And we were all the, we were all the mill houses, I guess. <laughs> and Lisa. Mill houses yeah. and Lisa. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. But yeah. And I, I remember, I do remember the lemon though. That was a different interactive <laughs> non-digital experience. <That's> correct. <laughs> yeah, We survived it and, and here we are. So Matt, it's really fun to reconnect with you and um, to hear you share your favorite mistake story. And, and uh, boy, I'm sure you're looking forward to a point where you can get back out on stage again.
1: It will be, it will be fun to be with people again, for sure. So I uh, very much look forward to it.
0: Well, great. And people can find the band on
1: YouTube and online. Is there Absolutely. Yeah. Blizzard of Ozzy Atlanta. You'll find us.
0: All right. Awesome. Hope people will check that out. Um, So again, our guest has been uh, Matt Booz. Thank you so much for, uh, for doing this today. A lot of fun,
1: Mark. It was great. I really appreciate the invitation.
0: Thanks again to our guest, Matt Booz for show notes. You can go to markgraben.com slash mistake 76. You know, the drill by now, please follow, rate, and review the podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. We hope you will keep listening and make this a regular habit. Really appreciate you taking the time to listen and uh, joining us as a listener. Thanks again. And I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they've started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast@gmail.com. mistake podcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is my favorite mistake podcast.